This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Don Haskins was the young Texas Western coach with a simple mission. He wanted to win. Adolph Rupp was a 64-year-old Kentucky legend, a man of unreconstructed racial politics who also wanted to win. What set them apart? It's not too much to say that the young man saw the world as it could be. The older man saw the world as it was and as he wanted it to stay. And on that distant evening of Saturday, March 19, 1966, in the NCAA National Championship Basketball game in College Park, Maryland, vision defeated stasis. Possibility defeated the past. Opportunity defeated the existing order. The world of basketball would never be the same, and neither would America itself. 41 years later, the entire 1966 Texas Western team was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. We're so glad when we look at today's game and we see the diversity in today's game. It does our hearts good. But we want you to understand one thing. It's a commitment that you have to make to give back to that game. It's not about the money. It's not about the material things. Those are highly overrated. It's about giving back things that was given to you. We thank you again for this great honor. We will always cherish this. I'm Doc Rivers, and this is It Was Said Sports, the championship that changed everything. Texas Westerns 1966 NCAA title. My own personal feeling was maybe this could be a gigantic step forward toward racial harmony. I never got over walking in that gym and knowing what happened in it changed the face of college basketball and probably all sports. The Texas Western University versus Kentucky NCAA final in 1966 is one of those stories that doesn't get enough attention. Sure, sports folks like me know it, and there was a movie about it, Glory Road, and the occasional documentary or an anniversary essay in a place like Sports Illustrated. In the history of the 1960s, however, what happened at Cove Fieldhouse at the University of Maryland doesn't get noted amid images from the March on Washington, George Wallace's stand in the schoolhouse door in Tuscaloosa, or Bloody Sunday at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. But it should. Politics and culture are intimately intertwined, and sports in America are a vital force within the broader culture. 
these things to me are, you know, one of the turns that the culture has taken away from history is frightening. His legendary sports journalist and commentator, Michael Wilbon. You shouldn't have to be 60 years old like we are to remember these things and treasure them and value them for what they were. But sadly, we have to keep these things alive with these kinds of discussions or they will die on the vine. Jackie Robinson's pioneering career with the Brooklyn Dodgers was part of the post-World War II shift in attitudes about race and accomplishment. Billie Jean King's high-profile victory over Bobby Riggs gave the women's movement a popular win. Muhammad Ali's career in the ring and dramatic acts of protests outside it reflected a changing nation and a changing world. You probably haven't heard of Don Haskins or of Bobby Joe Hill or of Ornstein Artis or of Dave Latin or of Willie Cager or of Neville Shedd or of Harry Flournoy or of Willie Worsley or of Jerry Armstrong. But you should because they, the 1966 Texas Western Miners, helped make history. The 1966 Texas Western team became the first NCAA team to win a title with five black starting players, beating an all-white team, Kentucky. And a lot of history was being made as the 1965-66 basketball season began. It was a thrilling and tumultuous time in America. We were in the midst of a Cold War The Berlin Wall had gone up. The Cuban Missile Crisis had nearly led to a global Armageddon. Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis were leading a peaceful, nonviolent movement for civil rights against virulent white supremacy. America was racing the Soviet Union into space. President Kennedy has been shot in Dallas, Texas. He was shot while he was touring... President Kennedy was murdered in Dallas in November 1963. His successor, Lyndon B. Johnson, pressed the Congress to pass civil rights legislation. And after Alabama lawmen attacked peaceful protesters at Selma, LBJ sought landmark voting rights legislation. He signed that bill not long before the 1965-66 season began. Which is where Don Haskins, who was known as the Bear, enters the store. Born in Enid, Oklahoma in 1930, he played at Oklahoma A&M, reaching the NCAA semifinals. Haskins had been hired by Texas Western, a D1 school in El Paso in 1961, and set about building a team. He wanted the best, and the best just happened to be mostly black players. I do remember that in the build-up to the game, it was in March of 66, Texas Western had played essentially the same five players all season long. They were a seven-man rotation, essentially. Here's longtime college sportscaster Vern Lundquist. So I know media had taken acknowledgement of the fact, the historical fact, that this would be a team with five black players for the first time in the history of the NCAA. We all learned about that on the path to the championship game. 
the names come flooding back Texas Western. Big Daddy David Latin, Neville Shedd. Uh, they had two guards, one of whom was listed at 5'10, Bobby Joe Hill. The other, the unforgettable five foot six inch guard, Willie Worsley. And there was another Willie on the team, Willie Cager. And Kentucky, among other people, had Pat Riley as a starting guard, Louis Dampier, who played in the old ABA, the Kentucky Colonels. The Miners were an integrated team in an age shadowed by segregation. It wasn't all black or all white. It was just all good. Harry Flournoy, a leading rebounder for the Miners, was team captain of the historic 1966 team. We played the game because it was an escape for us. It was an escape from the reality of the times when people would tell you what you couldn't do. People would tell you that you can't put five black players out on the floor at the same time. They would ask the question, why? Because they're black. We had to break that. We proved that a farce, a fallacy. The season had been fantastic. The Miners went 23-1, losing only to Seattle in the last game of the regular season. In the final against Kentucky, Texas Western prevailed 72-65. It was shocking. Kentucky, which included Pat Riley, had been expected to triumph, especially after defeating Duke in the semifinal. And some of them knew what was going on, and some of them didn't. Not everybody noticed when they sat in their seat that UTEP, Texas Western at the time, had five black players on the floor. And so not everybody knew it. Not everybody noticed that juxtaposed. Kentucky's team was all white. Of course, there was no black player in the SEC yet. When Texas Western played Kentucky. In Sports Illustrated, Frank DeFord wrote, no minor player had made an all-district team, much less in All-America. But the team just kept on winning and finally met Kentucky in the finals. And instead of Adolph Rupp winning his fifth national title, Don Haskins won his first. I'm just a young punk, Haskins said. It was a thrill playing against Mr. Rupp, let alone beating him. I sat in his office once. I was, I was supposed to be covering a Sun Bowl, and Don Haskins was walking around. and I said, Coach, can I just talk to you for a while? I went in his office, and I said, just no more than 20 minutes. And I was there like three hours. And he... The memories he had of it, the emotion it welled up in him. I don't think he knew necessarily that he was going to start those players and it had nothing to do with race who he started. Back then, nobody was going nine deep. People put five guys on the floor and sometimes they, they played the whole 40 minutes. But it seemed like not everybody knew. The Haskins strategy was straightforward. As he recalled, I was simply playing the best players I had. It was what I had done all year. The New York Times agreed. In an analysis published on Monday after the Saturday game, the writer Gordon Smith never mentioned race. The game had been decided, Smith wrote, because Texas Western played much better basketball than Kentucky to upset the Wildcats in the finale, the first major sports title ever achieved by the El Paso College, once known as the Texas School of Mines. But the haters sure mentioned race. 
As Haskins recalled, there were bags and bags of nasty, racist, ignorant letters. We were just this little old school in dusty West Texas, and no one had ever heard of us. And now people all over the country hated us because we had black student-athletes. My own personal feeling was maybe this could be a gigantic step forward toward racial harmony. I think so many white people thought of the result of that encounter as an anomaly and that it would naturally be corrected in the coming years to come. That didn't work out for the white people who didn't appreciate the contribution of Texas Western to the history of our country, not just the history of basketball or college sports. I was 25, two and a half years into my first job, and uh, I remember how important it was, especially to the African-American community. It was a huge step and a huge accomplishment. Newsday alluded to the fact of the matter writing, all of the first seven are Negroes. That shouldn't be significant one way or the other, except that many people make it noteworthy with snickers about the ethnic makeup of the team. Kentucky coach Adolph Rupp reportedly said, TWC, what's that stand for? Two white coaches? No, Coach Rupp, it didn't stand for that. It stood for Texas Western College. And in 1966, Texas Western College stood for excellence on the court. After all, they beat you, the great Rupp of Kentucky, for the national championship. But Texas Western stood for something else, too. It stood for the future. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, this is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I live eight miles away from College Park, specifically what was then called Cole Fieldhouse, which is where the game was played. And I walked in there in 1980 for the first time when I was covering a Maryland game, Maryland basketball game. And so it was 14 years later at the time, and I got the chills because I had grown up not remembering the game itself as much as the event and what it meant I mean, there was nobody who looked like them who had ever stepped on that floor when that game was being played in 1966, March of 1966. And so it's just staggering. 
And I covered dozens of games there for the Washington Post. And I never got over it. I never got over walking in that gym and knowing what happened in it changed the face of college basketball and probably all sports. And 41 years later, after its momentous victory, the entire team was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, enshrining the 1966 Texas Western Miners as a pivotal force in basketball history and American history. Co-captain Harry Florinoy took to the podium and spoke on behalf of his Texas Western teammates. In 1966, we had eight black players, four white players, and one Hispanic player. And our only purpose was to be the best team in the country. We did not have a social agenda at that time. We were only thinking about winning the championship. We thought we had the best team in the country. Florinoy was recruited from the state of Indiana to Texas Western by Coach Haskins. In interviews, he said he was greeted into the city of El Paso and into the college community with warmth. I was treated real, real well here when I got here. You know, I was a pretty unknown person. I wasn't really highly recruited, and uh, the people treated me real well here. But he was still facing the realities of the time, often experiencing racism on the road while traveling with the team. And he knew right away how impactful he and his teammates could become. We were together, not only as a team, but we were like brothers. And like I said, we didn't have a social agenda, but God had a hand in that. And he chose us to open doors. He chose us to open the door to all people, not just African-Americans, but to all people who were oppressed, all people who was having doors slammed in their face because of race or, or gender or any other reason. He chose us. There was an old saying about how integrated teams played at mid-century. Two at home, three on the road, four if we're behind. That was changing. As Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post wrote in 2016, the memory of Texas Western, now the University of Texas at El Paso, endures. It's a Disney movie, literally about meritocracy. The lasting significance isn't a matter of the miners paving a new path for black college basketball players. That had already been done. When Bill Russell and Casey Jones led San Francisco to back-to-back -to -back titles in 1955 and 1956, it was more of a trailblazing moment. In 1962 and 1963, Cincinnati and Loyola of Chicago won championships while starting four black players in the title game. What Texas Western did was put an emphatic end to any lingering doubt about the worth of diversity in the sport, especially in the slow-changing South, where Adolph Rupp's story Kentucky team illuminated a lack of forward thinking in the region. That was Brewer's verdict, and it rings true. One of the great things about the Texas Western story is that it was organic. Haskins wanted to win, and he found a way to do it with the best players 
he could muster. And they happened to be young black men. Haskins wasn't trying to be Martin Luther King Jr. He was trying to be a great coach. Coach Haskins and Coach Iba, they were dedicated and they worked hard. They worked us to make us a team because you can't just put talented people out and think you're going to win games. It takes dedication, it takes discipline, and it takes direction. And he gave that to us. And there's something of a lesson in all of this. Progress can come when you're not thinking about progress as such. When you're just doing your job, whether as a coach, a player, or as a citizen. We want you to understand this also. All things are possible. You only have to believe. Thank you for listening to It Was Said Sports, a documentary podcast from Shining City Audio, a C-13 Originals, and John Meacham Studio. Executive produced and created by John Meacham and Chris Corcoran. Narrated by me, Doc Rivers. Written by John Meacham. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Production led by Paige Heimsom. Edited and mastered by Chris Basil. Guest booking and coordination by Kelly Rafferty. Additional production support by Bill Schultz, Sean Cherry, Bob Talbador, Ian Mont, and Rich Cook. Creative consultation by Nikki Kovac and David Weisbord. Cover art and graphic designs by Kurt Courtney. Marketing and publicity by Brian Swarth, Maura Corrin, Josephina Francis, Lauren Schwartz, and Hilary Schuff. Our theme song is I Can Almost See You by Hammock. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.